Welcome to Changeling Cast, the podcast dedicated to reading, reviewing, and dissecting speculative romance series. I'm your host, Mara, from the booktube channel Books Like Woe, and this season we are tackling the Innkeeper's Chronicles by Alona Andrews. Chronicles series. Ugh, guys, so I'm taking a different approach to recording this time. For the first season, I would kind of make myself pause for the most part between each book I read to record an episode. And this time I allowed myself to do a little bit of a binge so that I would have a little bit more perspective uh, to bring to an individual episode. So um, I'm just so excited to be back in this world. And now that I'm like remembering like, oh, yeah, that's what happened. It's been, I should say I was looking up the dates. It's been six years since I did my original reading of the series. So um, yeah, it was exciting to be back with a well loved friend, it felt like. So uh, today's book is Clean Sweep, which is the first book in the series. I should say that there is a prequel uh, short story, really, that features the parents of um, Dina, Maud, and Klaus DeMille. Uh, so I'll give that as a part of sort of the setup. But a big part of really what I want to do today is to dive in really um, to more of how this particular series world is set up. Um, This is a pretty inventive sci-fi series. It's very cozy, but I think that, uh, you know, it's important for us to have a good foundation upon which to build um, uh, in terms of sort of what's happening with the world. So let's start with that. And I'll, I guess I'll do maybe a little shorter plot recap. And to be fair, I think there's less plot in this book than there are in some of the others. But uh, I, I know I gave sort of a high level view in the introduction episode, but I want to dig in a little bit more. So the setup here is basically that this is a sci-fi series. Um, You will hear references to magic, and that is essentially because, uh, oh goodness, Dina even cites it at some point. Let me see if I can find it here real quick. Okay, it's the Arthur C. Clarke's Third Law of Prediction, which states that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So while, yes, we're going we're gonna to talk about magic in this series, know that it's not really understood as magic. It's really just technology so advanced that nobody really understands how it works yet, or Mm, forces, I guess, so advanced that nobody understands how it works yet. So, Dina's parents, Gerard and Helen DeMille, were well-known innkeepers on Earth. Now, what is an innkeeper? We talked about this a little bit in the intro, but basically they are custodians of the safe houses on Earth, and the safe houses have a a symbiotic relationship with the innkeepers. So they rely on the innkeepers to live. And once that bond is formed, the innkeepers rely on the inn to live. And the reason they exist or like what they are, their purpose now um, in this world is, is that 
Earth is basically described as the Atlanta airport of the galaxy, which is just that from where it's located, it's a very convenient sort of meeting ground for a lot of different, uh, you know, space-faring worlds, I guess. So in exchange for basically not conquering Earth, the rest of the galaxy has agreed that Earth will be neutral, but it will be where these ends exists for people to stop over. So in this world, all humans have the potential for what is described as magic, but not very many people actually tap into that. So that is really what the innkeepers are able to do. Um, and, and now that I'm further in my reread, we don't get a lot of explanation about the exact like genetic situation of this magic. I mean, it's kind of implied, I guess, at a few junctures, but like, it's not that the innkeepers are some sort of non-human entity or species. They seem to be humans that just are preternaturally able to connect with these ends. Um, so that's kind of like the big picture world setup. There are a ton of different races that get described in this series. A lot of them are humanoids. So we have uh, space vampires, who we definitely meet in this first book. We have space werewolves, who we also meet in this book. But it's explicitly mentioned that they are an offshoot of sort of the same uh, proto-ancestor that also started humans on Earth. So um, that's kind of the big picture there. And then Dina, who is our protagonist, and she is our point of view character for most of these books. Her sister Maude has one book um, that I believe is number four. But Dina is our main point of view character, and her parents, Gerard and Helen, went missing. And when I say they went missing, it's not that just they disappeared. One day, their entire inn, which was, I believe, either a four or five star inn, which is a big deal because it's very hard to get those stars. Uh, it just straight up vanished from Earth. And Dina and her brother Klaus uh, spent a few years kind of going through the galaxy looking for them and looking for evidence of them. They never found anything, and Klaus kind of decided that he was going to continue on uh, journeying and being a wanderer. He has sort of like restless feet, I guess, maybe <laughs> the way to think about this. Like he's he's a traveler. He likes to, to get out there in the galaxy. Um, so he decided that he was going to keep going, but Dina decided that the best way to try to find her parents was to come back to Earth, establish her own inn, and in her end, she has a big picture of her parents front and center. And kind of her repetition throughout the series is that someday somebody's going to walk in the front door of the inn, see her parents, and she's going to tell that they know something. So that's really what she's trying to do is like boost up her end's rating so that she can get more visitors and therefore she has a better chance of getting a lead on where her parents are. So when she came back to Earth, she petitioned to get her own end. She passed the test and they gave her an end that was almost dead. Basically, it had gone dormant because its original innkeeper um, died. And so it was almost dead and she was tasked with bringing it back to life. And that end's name is the Gertrude Hunt Bed and Breakfast. 
And I want to read you a description because as much as Dina is the main point of view character, because she has this symbiotic relationship with the N, um, the Gertrude Hunt really is kind of a second main character along with Dina. So just so that you get a picture kind of of what what is going on with the Gertrude Hunt. Um, Early on, it says the Gertrude Hunt bed and breakfast sat at the entrance of the Avalon subdivision on three acres of land, most of it taken up by the orchard and garden. Several mature oaks shaded the house and a four foot hedge bordered the lawn alongside the uh, alongside the side facing the street. The building's original fish-scale wood siding had long rotted away and been replaced by a more practical, modern version in deep hunter green. Built in the late 1800s, the three-story inn had all the overwrought American Queen Anne features, a deep wraparound porch with a short Corinthian column guarding the entrance, three small second-story balconies, overhanging eaves, and both bay and oriole windows projecting into projecting seemingly in random places. Like many of the older Victorian homes, the end was asymmetric, and if one looked at it from the north side and then from the south, it wouldn't even look like the same house. Its eastern wall featured a small tower. Its western side sported a round, protruding sunroom. It was as if a medieval castle in a southern bell antebellum mansion had a baby and had been delivered into the world by a gothic wedding cake decorator. So that's the Gertrude Hunt. And while she definitely looks like a Victorian from the outside, the other thing that the inns can do is that they are able to essentially take raw materials and Dina or the innkeeper works symbiotically with them to form whatever is needed in the inn uh, to accommodate the guests. So if there are two species or two whatever, two individuals who just hate each other and can't get along, she's able to form the inn um, in a way to keep them separate or in whatever needs that they may have. So like if they're an aquatic species, she can give them a room that's all in water. Um, if they need some sort of like specific bedding or um, like meditation space, she can form that. So she'll go and like get raw materials and sort of basically like feed it to the end to add to its stock of materials to do all of this with. And from the outside, you can't really tell that that's what the what's going on with the end. Um, you have to go inside. So her magic basically extends to the land as well. And the longer the inn is in a certain space, the more territory it ends up taking. Um, so as she grows in her powers and as it grows, they occupy more territory. And I should say that the other thing that the inn needs to flourish is guests. So an inn with just an innkeeper is not going to do well. It feeds off of the sort of life force and comings and goings of people being in it. So uh, luckily, even though Dina is struggling a little bit because it is a new inn, the reason it kind of went dormant was that it's in sort of an old road. It's in Red Deer, Texas, and the kind of um, impression you get is basically they changed where the highways went and there wasn't as much of a demand to be in Red Deer as there had been when the Gertrude Hunt was originally established. So there's not a ton of people coming and going, but she does have one permanent guest, and that is Her Grace Caldinia Carrette-Magrin. 
And basically, she is a homicidal, <laughs> evil space alien overlord is kind of the vibe. It's clear that at some point she was behind some sort of mass killing. I I don't know. I mean, I really like her grace, but when I think about what she did, I don't know that I should like her because she is not a very nice person. But she basically had all of these assassins with bounties out on her head. Um, and so she has been paid for essentially a lifetime stay at the end so that nobody can get to her. So she can never leave the property, um, but she is a permanent guest and therefore that kind of helps keep the end going. So at the beginning of the book, Dina is starting off with just a measly two-star rating. A one-star would mean it's just like horrible, but basically she's just new and hasn't really proven herself. And the, and the higher rating you have, the more guests you get. For her, that means she's got a better chance of finding who, like what happened to her parents. Um, but also, you know, that's like how the end flourishes. So at the beginning of the book, I should give a content warning because we have some uh, harm to animals at the beginning of the book. Basically these neighborhood dogs, so as I read from the Gertrude Hunt, um, these neighborhood dogs uh, in the Avalon subdivision are being found like viciously murdered. And it looks like not what, you know, like a wild cougar or something would do to a dog. It looks like something scarier and more preternatural. And Dina has been kind of watching this happen. But then finally, there's this really beloved dog who is killed at the beginning of the book. And she goes to this random guy and basically says, like, if you don't deal with this, I will. And what we come to realize is that she knows that this gentleman, Sean Evans, uh, is a space werewolf, as I mentioned. So the whole backstory of the werewolves is that they... Um, engineered their werewolfism, their lupinism, uh, because they were being attacked and they wanted to build these like super soldiers. Sean is, uh, is from this original planet, but he actually didn't know that his parents were refugees because they ended up having to basically like blow the planet up. He didn't know that they were refugees. And so um, when he finds out, like, when he encounters Dina, he's like, well, how the F, you know, how the fuck do you know what these, that I'm a werewolf? How do you know about any of this? And so she's kind of introducing him to the world, and that is obviously, also, you know, well-tried technique to introduce us, the readers, to this, because she's having to explain what's going on to him. But basically, she's like, hey, somebody's coming and infringing on your territory. I know you're new to this neighborhood, but you have been peeing all over my trees. You've been peeing all over the neighborhood, marking your territory. Like, what are you going to, either you need to defend this or I will have to do it. And so um, a lot of the beginning of the book is them kind of going back and forth and uh, like him kind of trying to understand who she is and what she can do. Um, he doesn't realize, I should mention, the other thing that Dina has besides the end is that she has this broom that she always carries with her. And she can, you know, transmorph it into, you know, being a spear or whatever she needs. She can kind of make it do different things, especially when she's on the inn's property. That is when she's her most powerful. But even off of it, she can do some of that. And uh, he doesn't realize who he's messing with. So when he really pushes her too far, she basically tells the Gertrude Hunt to just kick him out. And it like violently repels him, but he's able to sort of fight it and like halfway get back in. 
um, which she doesn't think he should be able to do. Later in the book, we're going to find out that he was sort of a second generation of these super, super soldiers that were bred. Um, I think they were called like the Alpha strain. And so he is even more souped up than normal werewolves. And basically, they didn't even think that two uh, werewolves with that genetic predisposition could have children. So his parents have actually managed to do that. And so um, he's like a natural born, super, super, super special werewolf. Uh, So he's really powerful, but he's kind of clueless as to everything that's going on. So basically, they're working together eventually, like kind of begrudgingly, because he threatens to go to the assembly, which is a um, the oversight board of the innkeepers. And she's worried that they will take away one of the sad stars that she does have if they find out that she has basically left her property and gotten involved. Because part of what is supposed to be going on is that she's supposed to be neutral, Um, she really should only be intervening on behalf of one of her guests, but she basically makes a decision that she just couldn't live with herself if she let this happen to her neighborhood. Um, so he threatens to kind of go to the, he threatens to rat her out, basically, so she agrees to work together with them. Um, so she eventually finds out that the thing that is attacking the inn is the, what, what are called stalkers. Um, and they are these horrible um oh god I can't I don't even know how to describe them basically think about the the horrible creatures and stranger things that's kind of what I'm picturing like from the upside down the creepy crawlies in the first season like that guy what is he called the mind flayer um that's kind of what I'm picturing and they are kept by this species of alien who are just like horrible. I think they're called the Drakkar. Uh, They're real bad news. And for whatever reason, this guy is in the neighborhood and he is like not abiding by the neutrality agreement. So the fact that he's letting his stalkers roam around and kill these animals and then also Dina stops them from killing this woman in the neighborhood uh, means that he's not abiding by the like, hey, we have to keep all this a secret from most of the citizens of Earth thing. So that is happening and they're kind of working together on that. Um, I will say one of the most notable set pieces in this particular one is that there ends up being a battle in Costco with one of the stalkers. And I think this gets to one of the things I like about Alona Andrews is that there's often a very like cheeky quality to some of the things that happen. And like there is this level of humor to the fact that Dina is fighting this horrible monster in the middle of a Costco. Uh, And so she nearly dies doing that because she has to disappear the body because she can't let anybody find it. So she has to like pull from her powers in a way that she isn't really supposed to if she's not on the inn's property. Uh, And she nearly dies and Sean is able to come and like she's able to get a hold of him. He comes, brings her back to the inn and the inn sort of like helps her restore herself. But that I thought was one of the sort of, it's one of the most memorable things in the series in general. Like I always remember that they had that battle in the Costco. Um, so all of that's going on. They're trying to get a plan together and um, they end up encountering some space vampires. 
And these space vampires are a part of, I think it's called the Holy Anokuri? I don't know how to say it. I don't even really know what that means. But it's basically a theocracy, and they are these knights. So they have, there's a picture medieval knights who live in space and are vampires. They are on the planet, and they kind of have a run-in with Dina and, um, and with Sean, and they kind of are resisting telling them what's going on. But Sean actually ends up rescuing one of them from the stalkers. So there's a, a little cadre of several of them. And they are killed, all of them except for one, Lord Soren. And uh, Dina and Sean are able to put him in sort of the like med bay area. And they are able to use his essentially family crest to put out a call or um, signal that he needs help to the other vampires here nearby. And the one who comes is Arland. And Arland is the marshal of his house. I think it's the house of Karar. And that means that he's basically sort of like their war, like their general. He's like in charge of their military forces. And basically, vampires are intrinsically extremely violent, but then they also are very religiously devout um, and also have sort of like the... Um, like chivalry vibe of medieval knightdom. So they have a lot of very formal, uh, you know, sort of hierarchy, but also a lot of uh, formal ways of doing things, which is sort of in contrast to their super aggressive and violent nature. But anyway, Arlen shows up. He's immediately very taken with Dina. And he is making comments about like, you know that Earth women and... Uh, vampires can mate. My cousin has an earth wife. Uh, and that makes Sean, that clearly makes Sean very jealous. Um, so that was kind of a fun dynamic that comes up in this one. Sean and Arlen duke it out a few times <laughs> throughout the course of the series. And this particular one, uh, Sean unknowingly gives Arlen coffee, which is basically like getting a vampire drunk. And so Arlen like strips down and starts running through the apple orchards. So that was pretty funny. Um, but anyway, so Arlen comes and he's trying to uh, take care of his uncle. He's performing these religious rites, but basically um, essentially ends up becoming a guest. And he eventually lets them know that basically they're, they're hunting this particular, I think, like I said, I think it's a Dakar, who was an assassin to um, their aunt during this very important uh, wedding and this very important um, alliance that they were making with another house. His aunt is murdered in a very public and shaming way, and it's set up to look like it's the people who they're making an alliance with, but we come to find out that they've realized that there's a traitor in their midst, and it was actually um, one of his cousins who arranged it. So that ends up being sort of like the big showdown at the end of the book is that they use uh, a crest to call the cousin, the cousin comes and is killed, uh, and they contain the Dakar. And because Dina has dealt with all of this, I should say she calls, I think it's Mr. Ramirez, Brian Ramirez, who is a nearby innkeeper um, who's really good friends with her parents. She's able to make contact with him and get some advice from him, but also he helps her kind of like promote what she did for everyone and he, his suggestion is 
If you're in this sort of weird out of the way place, possibly what you can do is set up, set yourself up as a specialty inn that specializes in really gnarly guests. <laughs> like if you're, if other places have turned you away, you can go to the Gertrude Hunt. That um, that could be a way to sort of uh, earn her keep or or sort of rise up the ranks in terms of the star ratings. So. That's kind of what he suggests, and that is sort of what is suggested, is that she is going to do. I should say that the other big thing that happens in this book is that she goes... So she ha- the Gertrude Hunt has portals to a few different worlds. There's um, a portal that's established with this really scary world that she uses to threaten people if they're misbehaving. She'll like open the portal and say, I'm going to toss you in here. There's also a portal to this basically like... Uh, how to describe it, like a marketplace kind of town, I guess, um, called, I believe, Bahar. And she goes there because she needs to make some trades for these uh, um, spider's eggs that they're going to use in the kind of last confrontation. And she takes Sean with her. Two important things happen at this outing. One is that she um, trades with this merchant named Nuan Chi, and he is a very powerful merchant. He's going to be a recurring character. And he is sort of the guy who can get you what you need. He's a wheeler and dealer, etc. So she gets what she needs from him on this particular occasion, but also just note that he's an important character who's going to come back. The other thing that happens is that Sean encounters another werewolf named Wilmos, who immediately recognizes him for what he is, because he was one of the engineers who designed um, his parents. Part of what the reason that his parents are on earth and basically have no contact with other werewolves and are not telling him his actual heritage is that they were basically test tube babies like they were genetically engineered and the werewolf society was where they're basically referred to as warrior poets they're very in tuned with the arts and philosophy etc and one of the kind of things that comes out of this is the idea that if you are a test tube baby you're basically soulless so um it's not kind of a cold clinical version of genetic engineering it's seen as having a lot of sort of philosophical or moral weight to it and they basically just didn't want him to be saddled with that so they disappeared and and nobody has known that any of these alpha strains have successfully been able to have children. And so when Wilmos sees Sean, he's so excited. And he basically entices Sean with this special werewolf armor um, that fuses with your skin. And you can see it when you're starting to get angry. You can see like tattoos flaring. It's a really cool visual that they describe. But basically he says like, I'll give you this if you, you know, will owe me a favor. And Dina is like, oh my gosh, Sean, do not do this. This is a terrible idea. But Sean is determined to do it. So he takes it. He takes that deal. And there is a budding attraction, flirtation, etc. between Sean and uh, Dina throughout this book. They do kiss at the end. But then he says, like, you know, I didn't know any about any of this until today or until this happened. My parents have been lying to me. And when I listen to you talk about all this, you know all of these things that I should know. And I have to find out for myself. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to go honor my deal with Wilmos. And, you know, I'll come back someday. And she's really sad (laughs) because she likes him. But she also is, like, musing on the fact that, you know, 
people just like come and go at an end and that's a part of life and whatever she's trying to play it off but it's clear that like she's really disappointed that he's gonna leave and that's kind of where the book ends she has an extra half star on her rating which is good uh she has made this connection with sean but he has left and i should say that as a thank you to her for what she did um part of how she gets that half star aside from mr ramirez helping her is uh the arlen's vampire house declares that like they are that she is their preferred in on earth um which that endorsement helps her get that boost so she has this new allyship with the vampires she has had a fling with sean ish or like a flirtationship with sean and she's also done something kind of bold like she has stepped out of what she kind of thinks of as her role as an innkeeper by defending the neighborhood but by the end of the book things are kind of back to normal like she still just has one guest one permanent guest uh, a better rating but still her looking for her parents so that's kind of a summary of the overview of the world summary of the book um my thoughts. So I think in general, a lot of thematically what this series is dealing with is this tension between traveling and being home. And I think that in, you know, a post-pandemic world, I really resonated with that on this reread. Like, Dina is somebody who really, I think she kind of, her, the in and she is a entity in this book, represent the value of rootedness in a place and of staying put and of hospitality. Basically, she's the embodiment of Cancerian energy, (laughs) a very home protective, um, all of that. And then Sean and other forces throughout this book are very Sagittarian in terms of like wondering and wanting to travel and, you know, having antsy feet. And that's sort of the tension between her and Sean, at least by the end of this first book, is this idea of like every, she consciously thinks many times like everybody I know leaves me. Her parents mysteriously disappeared. Her brother is off doing whatever. She hasn't talked to her sister because her sister married a vampire lord and moved off to live in space with him. Um, And then even by the nature of the guests in her inn coming and going, like, there nobody ever stays with her and i think that that's sort of what becomes her strength is her rootedness and her resiliency and it's a it's a series that really values that and i think that that's a really cool theme of just like the power of um being connected to a community and and staying in one place I, I thought that that's, like, upon my reread, that really has struck me as, um, like, kind of a beautiful thing to celebrate. So I think that's kind of what Dina represents. And a lot of her struggles is um, centered around feeling abandoned and being okay with staying put uh, and kind of owning that and owning that as her kind of place of power. Uh, and I think as that happens, though, she inspires immense loyalty. Oh, I haven't mentioned this, but I absolutely must. She has <laughs> she has a shih tzu, which is a special kind of uh, shih tzu, which is a shih tzu ki, which is actually uh, a secretly a very scary monster. So basically it can unhinge its jaws and has like gigantic like rows of teeth. Sean finds this out the hard way when he tries to sneak on the grounds. Um, but she, you know, by the end of the book, she has... Her, and its name is Beast. She has Beast. She has um, 
Caldinia, and she has Gertrude Hunt. And that's what she has, which is what she started off the book with. So I think that this book in particular um, has a very much there's no place like home ultimate message to it, but that will definitely be built upon um, over the subsequent books. There is also definitely a setup in this book of um, kind of a love triangle-ish, but I don't think there's much doubt, especially upon reread, what the end game is. Um, and let's see here. Oh, I'm sorry. Also, I just realized that I was saying Mr. Ramirez, but it's actually Mr. Rodriguez. Um, and I've got to see if I can find <laughs> what uh, specifically Arland and uh, and Sean say to each other. Okay, so Arland is very, like, one of the things that vampires can do is be very charming. Um, and so when Arland, I'm going to read you a couple of things. One, when Arland is trying to, you know, worm his way into her affections, he says, it, it says, Arland smiled again, showing me his fangs. Vampires smiled for many reasons, but when a vampire male smiled at you from this distance, with that kind of look in his eyes, it was done for one purpose only, to impress. Look at my big teeth. I am an apex predator. My genetic material is awesome. Um, and then at the end of the book, after Sean kind of says, he says goodbye to her and Arland is also leaving, um, it, you know, we've gotten a few illusions throughout that Arland like consumes earth pop culture to stay up on like local <laughs> folklore. Uh, and it says, uh, as she's watching them leave, Arland said on the screen, my intentions are my business. Sean said, mm. Arland said, I have spent my spare time studying literature popular with young women of this planet. One should always study the battlefield. Sean glanced at him. And? I suggest you give up now. According to my research, any vampire-werewolf love triangle, the vampire always gets the girl. So <laughs> I thought that that was a cheeky little reference to Twilight there. But um, yeah, so basically there is set up that there is somewhat of a love triangle between Arlen and Sean. But again, I think part of what we see Dina really valuing, and it's not really even surprising in this book that Sean is endgame, is that Sean has a sort of steadiness to him, particularly as the series goes on, that really, like, calls to Dina. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's kind of thematically what I think these books are about, and I definitely think we see that in this first one. So, in terms of ratings, uh, this time we're going to mix it up. I've got four ratings, because four new ratings, I should say, because I value and expect different things from an Alona Andrews book than I expect from a Nalini Singh book. So the first category is lulls. Uh, part of what I love about Alona Andrews is their humor. Now, it's, it doesn't work for everyone. Obviously, humor is very subjective. But for me, Alona Andrews's humor is very funny. I find myself LOLing frequently in these books. And I'm gonna give this uh, four out of five vampire love triangle twilight illusions like there were several very funny moments in this that made me literally laugh out loud um the other the next one i'm gonna say is found family so this is something else alona andrews does really well it's kind of a variant of what i called cozy community vibes in uh side changeling but it's less that it's a communal vibe and more just that you have these recurring characters who you really love and who make a new found family together and i'm gonna give this one mm, let's say three out of five uh 
I love Beast's uh, attempts to protect Dina from Sean's invasions. So we definitely have the foundational characters that get introduced in this one. We've got Beast. We've got Caldina. We've got Gertrude Hunt. We've got, oh, I should mention there's a local police officer who can tell there's something weird about Dina and her in and keeps stalking them. Um, so that, I love him. I think his name is Officer Moraes. So we've got him. We've got Mr. Rodriguez. Uh, ooh, oh, I should mention, let me read this to you too. At the end, when she gets her extra bump, um, Mr. Rodriguez sends her the newsletter where it says that she got the additional endorsement. Um, let's see here. Uh, a single item was circled in ballpoint pen. House car of the cosmic, holy cosmic anocracy has made it known to all that all inquiries regarding its members in North America are to be addressed to Gertrude Hunt Inn. This announcement comes on the heels of Wilmos Gerwar of Bahachar's uh, endorsement of the same inn. The words Gertrude Hunt had two and a half stars next to them. I leaned against the oak. I had earned a half star. I could barely believe it. In the margin of the page, Mr. Rodriguez had written, your parents would be so proud. <sighs> that killed me. So we get Mr. Rodriguez, Mr. Rodriguez, uh, we get Sean, we get Arland and Lord Soren. Like we get a lot of our kind of key characters in this first book. Um, but we don't, because it's a first book, it doesn't have, you know, the full weight yet of, uh, of the kind of recurring cast of characters that you come to know and love. Um, the next one I'm going to say is woo-woo factor. So part of what I love about an Alona Andrews books book is that they have such a cool imagination and they do a great job of incorporating big ideas in a really, like they execute their big ideas in a great way. They also have a lot of different sort of cultural references that they tend to pull from. So a lot of different mythological traditions, etc. And this one, again, I'm going to go three because I think this is a good baseline. We're getting all of the world set up. Um, I think the whole stalker thing is pretty creepy. We find out about the vampires and the werewolves. Like, we get a lot of baseline here. This is definitely not the most inventive the series gets or the most inventive Alona Andrews gets, but I think this is a pretty solid one. And then the last rating is what I'm calling Stand and Deliver. And this is something I love in an Alona Andrews book is that they make their main characters hyper-competent and then create the ins like the surrounding incidents that those hyper-competent characters rise to. And it creates these incredibly satisfying moments where you're just like, yes, you're doing it. Like Dina's ready. She's been like building up to this the whole book and now she's gonna kick some ass. Like these moments of just like shock and awe. Maybe that's why I should call it shock and awe. Like, yes, it's all happening. Um, I'm going to give this one a two just because I don't think that this is the most shock and awe an Alona Andrews book gets and definitely not in the series. I do, you know, it's this Costco fight I think is pretty iconic. Um, the end fight with the big bad is good. It's a well, I think I mentioned this in the intro. I really think that Alona Andrews is a cut above when it comes to describing fight scenes well or describing action well. So I think that's really good. But it's not the most like, oh my God, like watch Dina kick some ass or like watch Dina really come through. It's not the biggest one on that. 
So I'm going to give it two for now, but it's still really, like, it's satisfying. It's a good ending, but this is definitely sort of book one when it comes to that. So with all that being said, I'm going to give this a four star, which I think is what I gave it the first time I read it. This is a really fun sci-fi, like a cozy sci-fi read. I think if you're somebody who likes romance and is wanting to get into sci-fi or like sci-fi and is wanting to have a little more romance, this is a really good bridging series because um, there's not a ton of romance in the sense of like that's not the main driver the way that it is in a side changeling book. It's definitely there, but it's not as strong. Um, but it's so cozy. It's so it makes me laugh. Like I said, like these books are just so funny to me. Um, I always love the character work. I think the plots are always interesting. Yeah, it, this is just a great example of what Alona Andrews does and sets the scene for some very, very good books to come. So with that, I think that will do it for Clean Sweep. Next week, uh, I think the book is Sweep in Peace. Uh, I want to say is the next one, whatever book two is, that's what we're doing next week. Uh, so you will hear me back this time in seven days. And yeah, I think that will do it for this first book. Uh, if you want to find out what I'm up to, you can follow me at Books Like Whoa pretty much everywhere except Twitter because I don't know if you guys have seen what's going down with that, but I'm inactive over there, let's say. But you can find me on YouTube and Instagram and Goodreads and TikTok, all those things. And I think that will do it for me. I hope you guys are having a great one and we will talk in seven days. Bye. Bye.